Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and I'm going to tell you about my number one secret when I shop for wine. The best strategy is to look at the back label and look for a trusted importer. And one of the most trusted names in wine for the past 30-plus years is Skernick Wines and Spirits. Since 1987, the Skernick brothers, Michael and Harmon, have scoured the earth looking to find super high-quality wines of distinction and then bring them back into the United States so that they can be available to you at your local store or restaurant. The company is headquartered right here in New York City, but they are also a direct wholesale distributor in eight states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and last but definitely not least, my beloved wine home of California. They also import many wines that are sold in all 50 states through their partner distributors. I recently interviewed Harmon Skernick right here on the Black Wine Guy podcast, and let me tell you, these guys are the real deal. If you want to learn more about Skernick Wines and Spirits, please have a look at their awesome website. It's www.skernick.com. That's www.skurnik.com. Or you can even give them a call at 212 212- 273-W-I-N-E. That's 212-273-WINE. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and I'm so excited to bring you season three of the Black Wine Guy Experience. I'm not going to lie. Season two was pretty epic. We had so many mavericks, including Pascaline LaPeltier, Audrey Frick, Eric Azimov, Carlton McCoy, Kevin Zraeli, Rita Jamey, Soil Pimp, Neek Sam, Victoria James, and so many more. If you missed any, now's the time to go back and catch up. And if you can believe it, this season has just as many dope guests as season one and two, because that's just how we do it. I can't thank you all enough for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Your supportive DMs and messages keep me striving to be better and keep bringing you the real conversations from the Mavericks, deep thinkers, and philosophers who inhabit the world of wine. Cheers and peace. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is Jeremy Leffert. He is the director of winemaking at Tooth & Nail Wine Company in Paso Robles, California. Uh, Jeremy has been the director of winemaking at Tooth & Nail since 2015. Uh, Amor Fate is another label, Stasis, and Tooth & Nail. They're all made under the guidance of Jeremy. So that's three that's just three in-house wines made under his guidance. Um, he is an avid outdoorsman, um, specializing in mountaineering. He wanted to be a troop leader, I found out earlier. Uh, you know, that would be something he would try if he weren't making kick-ass wines. Um, he has been a flat-picking guitarist since the age of 10, and he currently lives in Templeton, California, with his wife, Melissa, and their two dogs, Ernesto and Paco. Welcome, Jeremy. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, that sums it up. It's so good to be here, man. It's been a fun couple days. 
Um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, so thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you for being Yeah, it's been a fun couple days. Um, we'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> so Jeremy and I connected through Instagram. Um, and, like, why don't you tell a story? How, tell Like, like I, you know, I'll tell my part. We'll just kind of just right. tell the story. I'm, I, I, you know, my, my, uh, my previous job, uh, I used to travel. I used to travel for work and, um, I mean, I've traveled for work now, but, but I was, I was out of town. I was in Arkansas. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I wanted to have some wine with my dinner. So I went to this little wine shop and, um, you know, and they had an okay selection or had an okay selection of wines. Um, but the only thing that like looked kind of like, like I was like I like I like Central Coast wines, right? People, if you listen to this podcast, you know I love the Central Coast wines. So I saw this this wine, Tooth and Nail, uh, I believe it was the Stand. Yeah, it was the Stand, and it's like a Petit Syrah Cabernet. What's in What's in Petit Syrah Syrah Vio? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I said, you know, and I, I said, I never had any of their wines, but I was like. You know, especially when you throw that uh, Viognier in there, man, it's like it just gets sexy. It just adds its perfume to a Syrah blend. So anyway, I get it. It's, it's it's big, black. It's inky. It's delicious. It's it's balanced. It's got mineral. I mean, it's delicious bottle wine. So anyway, I do my thing on Instagram. You know, this is way before I was thinking about having a podcast. You know, I did a little review and I tagged a winery, and then um, he starts following me. So you know, and then and then what happened? Well, then he sent me some wine. But then what happened? Well, I started following him uh, maybe in. January 2020, and I'm thinking, who's and you weren't posting photos of your face or any of these selfie videos or anything. It was just your your black hand and a bottle of wine, <laughs> and a lot and a lot of the wines were from the Central Coast. So yeah. I'm like, who is this black dude drinking all these Baller Pass Robles wines? Yeah, and so I just keep commenting and engaging, especially when the pandemic started. You know, like I wasn't meeting new people. I just saw my pod and my team at work. Um, so it was really kind of missing that, you know, unknown human connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the pandemic starts and you start, you shifted gears a little bit and started, um, you know, the, the videos yeah. and I got to see your face yeah. and hear your voice for the first time. And it was really refreshing and organic to me. And beyond that, I turned to my wife and I'm like, I think I know this dude from somewhere. And she's like, no, you don't. <laughs> And I was like, no, I think, I think back when we worked at Trader Joe's, he used to come and I'd like goof around with him in the wine aisle. And she's like, it's impossible. And I was hesitant to ask, right? Because I didn't want to be, you know, like that one white dude who thinks he knows all the black dudes, right? <laughs> I was just like, whatever. That's never happened to me. Yeah, happened yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally Sometimes you get some free drinks out of the yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know. I can roll. So anyway. Um, we go through the summer. I start sending you some wines. Yeah. You like the wines. We have really good conversation. Then the podcast shows up. Yeah. And it's like five in the morning in October or September. Um, and I'm driving to a vineyard to check it for harvest. Make sure this, you know, Pinot's ready. I remember you start talking about Santa Barbara a little bit. And I was like, that's it. He was at Trader Joe's. And so I pulled my car over. And I text him. So it's like 8 a.m. out here. I'm like, yo, were you in Santa Barbara from 04 to 07? And did you shop at Trader Joe's Milpas? I said, every day. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I used to work there. And, and you're like, 
oh, I get it now. And then you asked me. It was yeah, so, yeah. So then, so then, so he's like, dude, I, you know, I used to just, you know, used to talk to me about wine. I'd go, we'd, I'd just goof off. I didn't work there, so I wasn't goofing off. He was goofing off. And, you know, but I, talk, I love talking about wine, right? So he, he, he was, he's a younger dude. He just was into wine. I was just talking about wine. So I, I, when he said, were you Trader Joe? I said, I said, I said, oh my, I said, yeah. I said, you know, there was this brother, um, you know, he had dreads. He was like the store manager. He's like, he's like, that's AJ. He married Mel and I. Like, so like we, all know each other. We used to, like that was like one of the nicest Trader Joe's locations in the world. By the way, that was such a friendly <laughs> location in the Milford store. But so, like it turns out, you know, you, you're politicking. So we actually reconnected. You know, we didn't realize we had that whole freaking thing going on. So that's how we connected. Um, so tell us about the wines you brought. I'm pretty for, pumped for our day drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first wine we're gonna get get into is from. Um, Possibly my favorite wine region in the world. Um, this is a Jeunesse 2018 uh, Chopin from Chateauneuf du Pop. So this is uh, largely Grenache, and uh, Syrah and Mouvedre make a small appearance here. This is aged mostly in large barrels like Foudre and uh, Demi Mouy and Punchins. Okay. And then what else we got, man? Uh, this one I'm super excited because I haven't tasted it since I tasted it out of barrel in France. It's the 2016 Jabolet Hermitage La Chapelle. So a couple of things just happened here. First of all, I have to go, Chapelle show, Chapelle show, boom, 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 boom. And secondly, see what he did there? See how he dropped that? He's like, I haven't had this since I tasted it in France in the barrel in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking winemaker I was life. Dying, <laughs> I was dying to try it. <laughs> No, that's dope. All right, man. Well, pour us some, pour us some drinks. All right, and you know, and you know, so you know, we talk, but you know, we we you know, I don't know a whole lot about your past, your story. You know what I mean? So, like, um, I do know. I have a research team. Uh, I know you're born in California and raised in Minnesota. Uh, tell us, like, growing up in Minnesota. Yeah. So I grew up on the in the suburbs of Minneapolis, um, which is the breeding ground of winemakers, by the way. Yeah, clearly. No, but it was a, a really uh, wholesome place to grow up. You know, there's lots of water, rivers, and lakes everywhere that we would swim in. But um, my parents were kind of wondering, you know, what to do with me in the summer because I'd constantly be getting in trouble. And uh, so they sent me away to uh, this incredible summer camp in Bemidji called Camp Thunderbird, which was really focused in outdoor living skills and doing... Just out the gate. Sorry, man. Just the blue fruit is just... Ugh. All right, so, okay, you're in summer. I'm sorry. It's going to be one of them shows. This is going to oh, it's gonna be one of them days. All right, so they sent you to the summer. Exactly. My producer said, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I started going to Camp Thunderbird when I was like nine years old. And it really exposed me to the natural world at a very early age. And it also, um, you know, the motto of the summer camp is uh, strong young boys to proud young men. And that's boys to men. That's ABC, really, really true. And it really kind of, I think, shaped my personality and my set of values. Um, you are a very um, valued man. I like that about you. Um, dude, this is fucking sick, by the way. Woo! This is fire. Okay, so, <clears throat> like, did you do a lot of outdoor stuff? Like, so you went to that camp, you enjoyed it. So that, that kind of like, 
how you became this developed your love for the outdoors and stuff like that. Absolutely. So we did a progression, you know, as we grew older, we did uh, longer and longer trips that required more and more, you know, living skills in the outdoors. Um, so, you know, I spent like, you know, probably 300 days in the backcountry before I was tw- uh, 23. And on one of those trips, we were backpacking in New England, you know, the White Mountains in New Hampshire, uh, Acadia National Park, the Green Mountains, the Adirondacks in New York. We did a resupply in Burlington, Vermont, and I just fell in love with that town and decided that's where I wanted to go to college. We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. But that's interesting. I mean, that's really interesting. So... <clears throat> You said you, you you did a re 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 what what resupply restock what did you call yeah it? so we'd be on um, we'd be out on a backpacking trip for five six seven days or whatever and then you get out of the backcountry you're out of food okay so you got to roll into a city hit up a laundromat and a grocery store to start the next leg of the trip this says like some old wild west shit like like you roll into the 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 the, the, the next town you know. And uh, you get your supplies, you get your feed, you go to the, you go to the supply store. Bro, the first <laughs> time I, I stepped foot in Paso Robles was in 2002. I was on a 10-week backpacking adventure in California as part of my uh, schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stopped at a laundromat in Paso. And Hotel Cheval is now in that spot. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, I mean... Like we met in Santa Barbara, like, and I'm sure you you know the stories um, about there was a there was a light, there was a stoplight on the 101 in Santa Barbara. I mean, like until not too long ago. Yeah, but now it's now they're having to wind the road. But yeah, Paso still is like, but like it's funny, like it must have been so podunk. It was just sort of on the verge. It was bubbling because um, what's the name? Uh, Tablas Creek. Yeah, yeah. And but the downtown, the square was there. It was just kind of starting to grow. I actually, while my wash was in, I walked down looking for a place I need guitar strings. And I find myself in the square. The movie theater was there. Vinoteca was there. Um, I didn't care at all about wine at that point. Okay. But it was it, pretty similar. It's definitely really amped up since yeah so you've mentioned you got guitar strings i understand you've been playing the guitar since age 10 um and what is a flat what does flat picking guitars mean what is that particular style i use a pick but mostly i play bluegrass okay so that's a flat picking style if you look on my instagram you know it says flat picks and fermentation yeah so I, i thought i hadn't i haven't been playing bluegrass my entire life Okay. I started out with electric and, you know, was playing in little jam bands and stuff, um, you know, in high school. And then in college, we were playing with a group of guys and we kind of um, got tired of hauling all of our gear all over the place. You know, drum set, amps, pedals, gets, all that. So we just started playing acoustic music. And that's sort of, you know, with my love of the Grateful Dead and that kind of branch of music, um, I stumbled upon bluegrass when I was maybe 20 and that's when that music really started to speak to me and I just loved the culture and how it's it's very it's like when um it's like when country music went hillbilly 
Mm. You know, but it's got all this Scotch Irish roots from Appalachia, which is really kind of interesting to me that it's sort of is also a testament to the melting pot that is the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when you're 20, additionally, you, you started playing a mandolin. Yeah. And I like, okay, so like, I'm not, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not I have I have degrees. Okay, I'm not educated. I, don't even, I was like I don't, I was like I'm I don't think I'm smart. I'm educated. But what is the what's the difference between like a mandolin and a, and a guitar? Well, mandolin has uh, eight strings, but it's four sets of two, and it's tuned differently than a guitar. Okay. So it's the same tuning as a violin, uh. and it's different from a twelve string guitar, as that each set of doubles are actually the same note exactly, not you know. They're the same. Um, and it has a very small body, so it's a very percussive instrument. And in bluegrass music, yeah, you play it, but you don't really strum chords and let it play open. It's more of a chop, which ends up turning the mandolin into the drum of a bluegrass band. Ah. See? Y'all just I, I be trying I be trying to learn. I be trying to get y'all to learn some stuff. Y'all just learn something. It's just stuck in my head. Listen to the mandolin rain. Bruce Horn's being arranged. It's just, just stuck in my head as soon as I read the notes, mandolin. Um, so you do all this outdoor stuff. Like you said, you're like a 10-week trip through California backpacking. Um, did, did your experience of growing up um, in the woods, in the wilderness, did that inspire you? Well, you mentioned Burlington, Vermont. So did that inspire inspire you to study environmental science and natural history at the University of Vermont? Was that was that part of it? Or, I mean, how did you? First of all, you were going to you you were you were in Burlington. You loved it. So what happened? Did you go by the like you're like I'm going to go to school here? Like how did this? Yeah, progress. Um, so I was like, Burlington's really cool. UVM is a good school. Uh, it's it's gorgeous there. There's tons of outdoor stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I, I applied. I got in. Um, I, I was originally declared as a music major. Because, okay. again, I wanted to really go down the musician road. And that didn't really work. I wasn't super happy with, you know, having to transcribe an improvised solo. That Those things did not mm. click for me. Improvisation's always been very spontaneous. And, um, yeah. So I, I switched majors to environmental studies with a focus in natural history, which propelled me back into the natural world. So we were studying a lot of, you know, uh, mountain building events, forestry, um, you know, ecosystem biology, and was also taking some pretty esoteric classes like, um, you know, environmental justice and um, the religion and, and environment and was getting really immersed in uh that and was also working and doing some internships with some political organizations in in Vermont as well. What I, you just like? What 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 is uh? How does religion play into the environment? I, I, I'm. Well, it's you know the natural world is is very much a temple, and you know the world around us is a temple, and we have to um, take care of it and be respectful. Um, but some some people have a, a much 
larger spiritual connection to the natural world than, got it. Okay. than I do. Yeah, right, right. I was right. just interested in the thought process. Yeah, no, that's what I, I, I thought you were angling, like, like like the rituals of, of indigenous people and how, you know. No. No, not that? Yeah, okay. So, okay. not that. Okay, okay. Oh. And then so that's where the 10 week trip was. Okay. Was that was uh in the environment and religion uh, and spirituality was the focus of this trip through UC Santa Cruz extension called Sierra Institute. Um I'm, I'm I'm I know I, this is some new shit for me. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm, 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 I'm pausing. I'm like, I'm like, what question do I want to ask next? And I'm like, because I'm trying to unpack. This is really cool. I'm, I'm, this is like what we do. I want to get to know, uh, you know. We want to get the stories about the people who make wine and people in this business. So like, I like yeah. Tell, say more about. It. So, so when you say when you say you see Santa Cruz, I'm thinking it's an acid trip trip. You know, uh, you know. Like I'm just I, that's where my mind goes to like Timothy Leary. But but like. What what so you're on that trip? What was it? Was it led by a professor? Like what was? Yeah, it was led by uh, the then director of the Sierra Institute, and UC Santa Cruz was like the host campus for that organization. It was all out of the classroom learning, um, and his name was Walker Abel. Oh shit, that's a dope name. Walker yeah, Abel. and he was. He, he, he was a, a big impact to my early 20s. Again, like Camp Thunderbird, Walker was, although we only spent a short time together, mm-hmm. um, he was really impactful to me. And, you know, so we would do readings, you know, Wendell Berry and other environmentalists. Um, and we would do a lot of our own writing, you know, a lot of poetry and just self-reflection and how our uh, own person is playing its part in the natural world because there's a a a a a thought that you know like san francisco or a city is nature Mm. because we are natural beings and there's some beliefs that you know a city is no different than a bird building a nest wow uh that is logical actually yeah it is And honestly, I haven't I haven't really talked about this in a long time because, you know, I've just been pedal to the metal on wine. Wine is like my, um, you know, my muse. And um, but I think that all of this, these building blocks and experiences, especially, you know, from childhood to my early 20s, Mm -hmm. where you're very um, impressionable. Oh, yeah. um, Really kind of made me who I am. Yeah. And there's when you're telling that story, there's this reverence like. Like, like he was a, it was a short time. He was a mentor. Like, like there just, there's something like how you talk about, like how you were willing to let people, um, mentor kind of shape, you know, kind of, you know I mean? Like you chose the right people, I think around, you know what I mean? To, to get, yeah. You know? Um, so <clears throat> how long were you at university of Vermont? Were you on a six year plan? Like I was or like five, five. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, what do you do after you graduate? Well, all the while, as soon as I uh, moved to Burlington from um, Minneapolis in 99, being a California native and the youngest, my parents were like, peace. <laughs> so they actually um, were able to buy a house in Santa Barbara. Nice. So then while I'm at UVM, they would, um, I would get to come visit for Christmas break. Okay. And I had this great fake New Jersey ID. <laughs> And so I was going to the sportsman with it. And uh, 
met this wonderful group of people who all worked at Trader Joe's, one of whom was a manager, and we stayed in touch for the five years I was in Vermont. Okay. Another one of the people I met at one of those nights is my wife. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so when I was done at UVM, um, I called Caroline, was like, hey, will you give me a job at Trader Joe's? She said, sure. So I moved home, lived with them, started at Trader Joe's a couple of weeks later, um, and got to learn the ins and outs of retail and how that works, how you order, how you manage a, a section. Mm -hmm. um, and Trader Joe's back in the early 2000s, especially in Cali, was um, a lot of like-minded people of the same age. And we had this little crew. We all worked night shift, 4 to 12. Um, and we would, you know, stay up all night, every night, talking about all kinds of stuff, you know, and postulating about life. Um, but it was at that store that I was for, first um, exposed to wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you just had a birthday, so you, you obviously you know you're younger than me. Um, but like when when you talk about your crew, it reminds me of like those er, those uh, early '90s movies, like uh, Reality Bites, where people like you had just your click, and you know like. But I knew your I know your crew because I used to I I like I you did it was I wanted to work at that Trader Joe's man. It was just so much fun. Man. It was it was a ride, and honestly, I, you know, I just celebrated my 40th birthday, and for my 40th birthday, that crew was all together again. Yeah, and it's just like it's we're gonna be friends forever yeah so yeah that's so dope that's so dope so so you know you, you were a very hard worker at trader joe's i i i you know <laughs> turns out turns out like you know we we we, we reconnected during the pandemic jeremy and i and i say reconnect because i we didn't know we we're connected but then it turns out you know i used to shop in that trader joe's all the time and then he would goof off in the wine aisle and talk to me and i've talked about wine you know because i just what i do i like I can't go into a store and not try and sell or help someone wine. I'm selling. I don't get a commission. So, um, so, um, and that also was a time when when uh, two buck Chuck was uh, two bucks was two bucks, and actually it wasn't. It was it was still decent wine then. It because the there was a, the, there was a market correction with the stock market and everything uh, when it crashed in two thousand um, or the not not internet bubble burst so a lot of that money so people who were buying all this baller wine so people were making wine and just slapping labels on it and selling it for a lot of money and then people weren't they had that market was gone so they just had all this wine so this company bronco just bought all the juice and just sold it for two bucks so a lot of that early two buck chuck was tasty for two bucks it was actually really tasty stuff it was what we call declassified wine so it might have been a wine that might have cost 20 or 30 dollars they couldn't sell it in the market so it just went to bulk and you know um what were some, what were some, what were some of your favorite wines at Trader Joe's? Like, oof. <clears throat> um, remember, remember Bear's Lair? Yeah, that that was okay. Yeah. I think my favorite, like, really affordable wine, like when I first started, was this Black Mountain Cabernet called Fat Cat. <laughs> you know, it was like four ninety nine. But um, that was my first exposure to Tobles Creek. Um, you know, they had a spree in there. Um, Let's see what else. There was um, a couple Spanish wines. Um, it, it's it's now called um, Garnacha del Fuego. You've seen it, but it's I know it, that it had a different label back yeah, then. Yeah. Um, and also, let's see the um, couple wines from Pope Valley. Uh, there was also this Pinot Noir called Hang Time, I think, 
which was solid. Um, and then, you know, of, I think my favorite and the the introduction to my love affair with Tempranillo was, you know, Marcus de Riscal. Yeah. Um, you know, something about the gold wire, like, just I know. did it, it for me, man. <laughs> It seems so classy, right? It just it had that gold wire on it. It really did. Um, you said something, and I think it's a trip now. Was like, so you were buying like what was like what were like those caps? How much did those caps from Pope Valley cost back then? Ten bucks, exactly. And now Pope Valley is like being heralded as the last standing AVA. It's a new, it's a whole new, you know, growing. And now people are cranking out, you know, $200 cabs out of Pope Valley when it was just like $10 wine back in the day. Yeah. And like, you know, I was making like $10 an hour back then. And um, so we were struggling a little bit in Santa Barbara, but I was spending most of my spare money on wine. And like a lot of wine professionals that I've come to know and talk to over the years, we all kept these journals early on. Like I would buy these, these, these affordable wines and then write these detailed notes on them. You know, I still have these journals. That's nice. And it's just, I mean, it's cute and everything, but it's uh, its funny, you know, to, <laughs> to look back and read it. Yeah. Um, but there's a record of it. That's so cool. That's so I think the cool. best wine, though, that we got as a hustle by Trader Joe's was a 2001 Gravity Hills Syrah from Paso Robles. It was a private label. I don't know who made it okay. for them. Okay. But Gravity Hills... I mean, you, we may need to do some fact check on this, but I think it's now called G two. Okay, yeah. Well, well uh, you know what? That's out there. Someone it's will listen. Near, it's near there. Yeah, someone will listen to it, and you know, and we, and we do appreciate when you guys catch the typos and DM me. We do appreciate yeah. that. So, uh, you know, we're not we're, we we if you can confirm. I mean, we could probably call Donnie Burns or yeah, or we'll Mark. figure it out. They'll, but yeah, but. But yeah, that would fact be, check for sure a, is needed. But dope. it's somewhere yeah, it's in, in the hall. It's in that neighborhood, yeah. man. It's you know, it's it's in the yeah, it's in the hood. It's in the right neighborhood <clears throat> for sure. So, um, you're starting to get into wine. You're 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 taking notes. You know, you're you're uh, you're kind of getting your wine geek on. Um, you have an advanced degree. And what's your advanced degree in? The master's? The master's, yes. I did my master's work in agriculture. Okay. Yeah. So how did uh, – I read somewhere like you had a chance encounter with Dr. Keith Patterson. Well, Keith's the reason I went to school. Okay. Yeah, Keith was the head of the wine viticulture department. Okay. Um, how did you – what was this chance encounter? Well – um, I, I, you know, my, I, I really got drawn to the vineyards on this, this woman, Elizabeth Mizrahi's birthday party. She was, a um, a history of the modern Middle East professor at, at City College Santa Barbara. And, okay. and Melissa, my wife was her TA. Okay. Um, and she's this wonderful person. She took us wine tasting. That was my first time I stepped foot into a vineyard and I was like, it all clicked for me at, the, on that trip because, I immediately just absorbed from the vineyard that it's 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 a perennial. It's once a year. Where it is grown really matters. Um, and then you bottle this, and it's just evidence of that year, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. was really uh, romantic and almost spiritual to me. And so I started sp uh, spending my savings on viticulture textbooks on Amazon. 
and my mom was watching all this go down. Okay. So she had, you know, put together a little folder saying, why don't you go back to school for this? Wait, she put together, she put together a folder? Yeah. She put She's like, a, get out of my house. A, a pitch deck. <laughs> yeah. so she, a pitch deck, like, yeah. Jeremy, sit down. I, I want to show you a little PowerPoint. Yeah, so <laughs> That's little they were Jeremy super, growing up yeah. in his little scout badge the Jeremy graduate college. She's like, and now we're here and you're 25. You got to go. Yeah. <laughs> So I found out that Keith Patterson was up there. Um, so he's why is he famed? Why like? Cause, well, because a lot of people who came out of Cal Poly in those early days, he he was brilliant. Okay, he you know was one of those like grapevine whisperer types, um, and I was like a sponge. And anyway, I drove up here to like interview with him, mm. and he he saw the the grit that I had. And he's like, all right, come on in. Um, and, yeah, I had to take a lot of undergraduate courses, though, because I did not have an agriculture background. Okay. So I did. So I, I, I turned what could have been an 18-month program and did it in, like, two and a half years, but then was only full-time for about a year. And that's when Melissa and I moved to San Luis Obispo. And Keith Patterson was just – I mean, you'll talk to a lot of um, people that were products of – that era and Keith is a very, very um, respected guy on the Central Coast. Okay, okay. Um, crop science, crop science. Um, what's the difference in like that and like someone say who goes to Davis? Like, what do, what do they teach at Davis? Like, they just straight up they teach winemaking. I'm sure they might have a crop, but they also teach just winemaking at like the Davis or something. Yeah, they have. <laughs> You know, viticulture and enology. I'm not sure if they're different departments or different majors or whatever, but yeah, they have more of a a, a school for it. Whereas, um, you know, at Cal Poly, there's uh, the school of you know agriculture and fruit science or cafes, um, and uh, viticulture is one of the majors in that. However, at the time, they didn't offer a master's degree in wine and viticulture. Okay, and I wasn't at that point. Had, I didn't want anything to do with winemaking. I wanted to be a farmer. Okay, and a vineyard manager. Okay, um, you know what? Let's just pause here for a second. We need to take a quick break. Um, but I want to. When we come back, I want to talk about you know difference between a farmer and a winemaker. So hang on a second. We'll be right back, guys. Hey, hey, what's up? It's MJ again. Listen, we all love a sexy wine label. But the back label is more important. Do you want to know how to score a great bottle of wine every time? Turn that bottle around and look for the Skernick Wines logo. Skernick Wines has been one of my favorite portfolios since I came into the business over 20 years ago. Whether it's a $10 bottle or a $100 bottle, you can count on Skernick Wines to deliver every time. And it's not just about wine. They also have one of the finest portfolios of craft spirits. Make sure you go to their website, www.skernick.com, and check out their ever-evolving library of cocktail recipes. Listen, I don't say this lightly. Skernick is a name you can trust when it comes to wine and spirits. Okay, we're back with Jeremy Leffert. <clears throat> so we left off. You said, you know, I didn't want to be a winemaker. I, you know, I want to be a farmer. I have you know, talk to other people who are winemakers and they, they say, dude, I'm a farmer. So like, how are you making, and this is just, this is just, this is what we do. We, like, how are you, in your mind, what's the distinction? Hmm. 
they're very interconnected. Um, and I think now it's uh, philosophically for me, it's about wine growing, which starts in the vineyard, obviously. Okay. Um, and, you know, we have a 13-acre a, a estate property at the castle in Willow Creek, West, uh, you know, 46 West, first castle on the right. Um, <laughs> and so that and then some other vineyards that, you know, Rob Murray, the founder, planted um, that we're working with is very much a wine-growing mentality. Like, uh, the mentality is like we work very hard in the vineyard so we can do less in the winery. Okay. Right. Okay. But depending on like what level and where you're at, it's um, winemaking can at some points with some wines take the front seat, where others where it's like an expression of terroir and the oh, place yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, the totally. vineyard. Yeah. And we just try to sort of stay away and stay out of the way and just treat the wines with such care that that vineyard voice can be heard. Right. 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 Got it. Got it. So you enroll you in this program, you and your wife, Mel. I don't know if you're married yet, but you move up to slow, which is San Luis Obispo. Um, and then, like, what was your first wine job? How did how did how did you end up where you are? What's the first wine job? Let's just get that. Well, I just it's a good question. I found out where um, you remember four vines. Four vines. Yeah, it was founded by Chris TG and Sam Mahler in '95. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Chris was a chef. Anyway, yeah. I uh, I really liked their wines in the early 2000s and found out where their production facility was located and just drove you know my ass over there and walked in and said, you know, "Can I have a job?" And they're like, "We're not hiring." And I was like, "Well, well, can I can I get a job like <laughs> tomorrow?" And they're like. No. And I was like, well, when do you need people? And they were like, harvest. And I was like, well, can I do that? And they're like, no. And, and, and I came back and Christian was actually there when okay. I came back the second time. Okay. And he's like, okay, um, talk to Chris, the other Chris, Rougeau. We call him Panda. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I put on these uh, nice interview clothes and go in and talk to him and just basically, you know, I'm. My my passion for wine is pretty obvious. Yeah, it's like dripping. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I worked harvest there, and that was like. And Melissa was away; she had to go up to God knows where for this Jamba Juice corporate manager training. So I was a bachelor. Oh, uh, and me and my buddy Todd, who's a winemaker now for the Prisoner, um, I got to stay with him most of harvest in a Tascadero and four vines. The seller was like punk rock pedal to the metal <laughs> winemaking. What's what, what is punk rock pedal to the metal winemaking look like um, for all our listeners out there? Like has anyone out there ever worked, um, 110 hours in a week? Oh yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, that's what it is. And, um, it was fun. We ate well, um, we got to work with some stellar fruit, and it was. Wait, I, I now I, I think you've told me the story. Is this like where you like start the day with like a bottle of tequila or some crazy shit? No, that, that was on a, a Sunday. We, uh, we, yeah, I, okay. Well, <laughs> we no. Tell that story. <laughs> That's only on Sunday. Because <laughs> we're because we're spiritual. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, talk about that experience. So you're saying you, you're working with great fruit. Like, what are some of the vineyards that like you work with? What are some of the fruit sources? Like, like uh, some ones I remember was Kyler Canyon, which was just coming online at the time. Glen Rose, Ducey, uh, Bailey Vineyard, not in Pass, so but in um, El Dorado County. There's an old Bailey Vineyard, I think. Grand Pier, Crazy Mary. Um, I think. Oh yes, uh, Santa Maria Vineyard. Okay. There was this Syrah that came off there called One Tree Hill, which uh, was <laughs> smoking stuff. Um, yeah, lots of cool vineyards. Preston up in Dry Creek Valley. Oh, Preston and Paso. I don't know what it's called now. A lot of these vineyards have changed hands since wow. then, so they're named different. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so, like, were you were you were you guys making wine for like was it a crush facility? I'm just trying. Yeah. To, okay. So it was a. Uh, I mean, f- at the time, Four Vines had two drivers: Old Vine Cuvée, Zinfandel, and Naked Chardonnay. Okay. That. Uh, large, most of that was made off-site, so we were making all the high-end stuff. So the Freaks, which was, you know, Anarchy, Heretic, all those were on-site. And then all of, like, the six single-vineyard Zins um, was all made on-site. And Chris TG is the winemaker. Chris Rougeau is the assistant winemaker. And, you know, I've always had, like, a um, almost photographic memory. And you couple that with this grit that I had from an early age. It's like – and wine was so perfect for me. I was just voracious and was able to learn – fast um and it was just super fun i didn't care that i was working 7 a.m to 3 30 a.m it was just i was like i didn't care that they were even paying me it was just fun yeah shit and you know we would i'd break stuff and make mistakes (laughs) and you know but that's how you learn listen you don't learn your lesson by reading a book anything you've actually learned in life you learned by doing like if if we it's so it's so great how we're built as human beings because babies fall down and they get back up yep till they till they learn how to walk and um you know and and you got to tie your shoe you have to do it you your mom didn't say here's a book on how to tie your shoe read it and you better be able to tie your shoe there's gonna be a test later (laughs) go tie your shoe right yeah So, so like like you, you sound like like you just went full bore into the business. So then, where 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 did you go from there? What happened next? So they rented the building from a man by the name of Jimmy Saunders, um, who was a grape grower, and Jimmy was having some 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 issues with his vineyard, and he was the landlord, so I was always very respectful to him. And uh, I was we had a really good dialogue about some of these problems and. Um, after the internship or whatever ended at Four Vines, I was out to a sushi restaurant with uh, Melissa and some some friends and ran into Jimmy, and he asked me, what am I doing? Okay. And I said, looking for a job. He said, well, just come for work for me and run the vineyard. So I was really thankful that I was very in the right place at the right time. And soon after that, um, you know, I, I pull up to work, and Jimmy's got the Hearst Ranch Winery on the sign on the barn. And he was working on a deal with Steve Hurst. And, and I'm like, what are we doing, Jim? And he says, we're building the winery. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you want to make the wines? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
yeah, I was there for six years. We had a consultant for the first three years who really like held my hand through a few vintages, and that's where I learned the technical. Okay. Um, and this guy was a wild man, but I learned a lot again because I. You tell me something, I remember it, yeah. and then I'll, I'll figure out the mechanics later. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we grew her Stranch Winery for you know the six years, and um, I really cut my teeth there and learned. I didn't have a ton of resources or a big staff, so I really learned efficiencies and how to manage a facility efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of got bored, mm-hmm. and then I took a job um, running a custom crush house in San Luis Obispo. So, what's it like to, like the Hearst? They're like some of the richest people in the world. What's it like to work for like a family like that, man? Ah, oh, they're wonderful. Did you did you have a lot of interaction with them, Steve? Yeah. yeah. So Steve was the great grandson of William Randolph Hearst. Okay. And uh, you know they're based here in New York. Okay. Um, but Steve, you know, he lives in the Bay Area. He runs the real estate side for um, Hearst Corporation, or he did at the time. Um, and he would come down for holidays and stuff on the San Simeon property. And, like, we would go, um, you know, Steve would say, let's play. And we would drive around the ranch and, and have a good time. He would come to our wine club events and stuff. And I'd, I'd sing songs for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, you told me a story when I was in California. Oh, yeah. About he, he, you played this one song you really liked. Yeah, you know, B- Big River, but you know. Um, I don't really know country, man. Well, anyway. Look, so, 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 so I played Big River. <laughs> Um, and he loved Big River, and uh, I'd finish the song, and I'd end with some little, you know, G run. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then Steve would look at me, and he'd say, "Play it again." And and so I play. I think it starts like, "I caught the weeping willow, how to cry." Anyway, um, that might not be it, but and I finish it again, and he would look at me again. And he'd say, "Play it again." <laughs> so it was it was it was a ton of fun. I mean, he's a really warm guy. His wife is amazing. Um, and and didn't he buy you a cowboy hat? He didn't buy me a cowboy hat. He gave me a cowboy hat. Um, <laughs> you gotta tell this story. This is a great story. <laughs> so, so Melissa and I are are up in the Bay Area. And, and Steve's such a gracious man. You know, he invites Melissa and I to stay with him That's and his awesome. wife and yeah. uh, takes us out to dinner. Um, and we're drinking crazy wine and just having such a good time. Um, he asked me, he's like, what, what what size head do you have? And I, and I said, I don't know, seven and something. Right. And he's like, go in the closet and see if uh, one of my hats fits you. And I was like, all right. He's I pick out this black cowboy hat and I put it on. It actually fits perfect. He's like, that's for you. And I was like, thanks, Steve. And he's like, you can wear that, you know, when you're pouring at events and stuff and representing the brand. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And I turn it on and, like, honestly, I wore that a few times, like, going out, yeah. going to events and, like, wearing a cowboy hat is pretty cool. And anyway, the next morning, we get up to go out to breakfast. And all I have is uh, flip-flops and shorts and a button-down. And so we're getting ready to leave. He's like, go get your hat. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm I, no, I'm good. You know, I, that won't look right with what I got going on right now. And he's like, go get your hat. <laughs> so I went up and got the hat. 
and we're walking down uh, downtown Menlo Park, and I'm wearing flip-flops and a freaking cowboy hat. I, like, I looked ridiculous. I still have that hat, though. I wear it every once in a while. I'm sure you do. And it's a really nice hat. And it's I'm just sure like, it's like, people don't realize how expensive, like, cowboy hats, I, like, like, those type of hats are, man. They're like, they're like 600 I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking low end. Yeah. I'm sure that was like a hat was worth several thousands of dollars. I'm sure, you know? Yeah. So you leave there and then after working there six years, you you go work at a custom crush facility in in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. A new project called the workshop. Okay. Uh, That's really where I learned kind of um, how to run a, a winery with a lot of moving parts because you know we would have like 300 different lots of wine coming in every harvest and 40 clients or whatever that ended up uh going out of business but i did make some very long-lasting relationships while working there so um like i said it was a project so um you get this job and then, and then it goes away what what'd you do next well i kind of panicked um yeah, because I got laid off, and I, that never happened to me before. I was scared. Yeah. You know, I had rent to pay for. You know, I mean, Melissa was working. Yeah. Um, actually, was gonna you know get become an Uber driver, so my car was like relatively new. Yeah. Anyway, um, so a few a, a few people that I had met at the tasting room at the workshop approached me to like consult for them. Okay. Just help them start a wine brand, Chroma Vera. Um. And then also this restaurant I used to work at, or not, uh, I used to eat at like every Friday with my good friend Johnny, uh, called Cafe Roma, which is this institution in Slow. Um, you know, I'd just sit there and eat a pizza and Caesar salad like every Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in there crying the blues. And you know, he used to have a wine brand, Marco Rizzo, and um, he said, "Well, why don't you start making some more wine for me, and we can sell it by the glass or whatever." And I said, okay. So he uh, he's like, I'll just pay you up front so you have a little scratch so you can, you know, chill out. And I was like, oh, my God. And so that – and then I just hustled mm-hmm. and put together this consulting business and started making wine and helping people find new custom crush facilities and managing those custom crush facilities so people, the owners, could just sort of – chill out and know that their wines are getting looked after and made in a in a great way that's also where i met uh the holguin family in ojai um who i make wine for as well okay okay so um you throw together i like it, it was like what does it say uh necessity is the mother of invention they say right um how did you end up over at a uh, tooth and nail so it was 2015 how did you end up at tooth and nail so rewinding to the Hearst days yep. in 2011 and May 9th of 2011, we got whacked with the uh, a big frost and, and lost a lot of our fruit. So I literally looked in the grape grower directory to see who else was growing Tempranillo. And Rob Murray was on there because he was a grower. Okay. So I called up Rob. He was super cool. And we ended up he, – he, he talked to me on the phone for 45 minutes. All at, and he told me he didn't have any on the first five. <laughs> so anyway, 
in uh, summer of 2015, Rob tapped me to come on board with Tooth & Nail Wine Company to be their director of winemaking and put together a totally new uh, winemaking team as they were just moving out of renting a building at, uh, in Edna Valley to taking over the castle in Pass Robles, which the, with the ultimate goal of making 100% of their wines under one roof. Okay. Um, so I said, yeah, I'd love to. I already knew Rob. It was a known entity. Um, I felt like the brand had a lot of potential. And I loved that, like, the grit that a lot of the people who worked there had. That's something you'll see and you'll meet when you, when you meet more of our team. Mm-hmm. Grit is something that's really important to us there. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 talk about what it's like. You know, I mean, how 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 long had you been out in? Uh, how long had you been out of school? And now you're a director of winemaking. Um, I finished my courses, I think, in 2010. Okay. Um, I had 10 or 11 while I was working at Hearst. I was still, like, taking classes. So I know in in an earlier conversation you and I had, you you shared a little bit, like, you've talked about um, some of the people who helped you in wine, but, like, I want to go back to like when you were so when you were in Santa Barbara, still living at your parents' house. I think you said you started hanging out in the Santa Barbara wine scene. We have know a lot of summer people. Like, uh, what was it? so like? I, I think you said like they, they were they, you were like a fly. They like swatting your way because you were like so asking questions you wanted to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like again, sportsman was our hangout. Sportsman is it was I haven't been. It was it was like it's one of it's iconic dive bar. In Santa Barbara, California. Yeah, so I was like 22, 23 years old, and I go to Sportsman. There's like three guys who are always in there playing pool. I like to play pool. Um, and they, one of whom was a chef. Uh, the other one was a, a waiter and ran the wine program at a restaurant. The other one has worked in a lot of wine shops in um, in Santa Barbara. That's That was the first, that was the discovery we made today. Dennis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I was always like, that annoying kid with the twinkle in his eye trying to like, you know, this guy was just got out of the shop selling wine all day and he just wants to have a drink. <laughs> and then I sit next to him and I'm like, so, uh, you know, what are the major grape varieties in, you know, <laughs> wherever? And and he's like, oh, you again? And uh, yeah. And also I was very fortunate, you know, um, because I had a really supportive family and, you know, my uh, my parents would, you know, flip the bill for um, me to go to these seminars and stuff over in San Inez and Santa Rita Hills and sit on these uh, in the audience on these panels with winemakers and then get to meet them afterwards. And it was like, you know, again, I'm the annoying kid. Right. Because I'm like, oh, how do you make such great Pinot every year? That's a Yeah. Is that where you met Brian Babcock? No, no. How'd you how'd you connect with Brian Babcock? That was during um, during my uh, graduate degree when I was looking for a thesis, and my thesis was uh, supposed to be focused on organic fungicides. I think Melissa and I just walked into Babcock unannounced, did a tasting, asked if Brian was there. They said, "Sure, he's in his office. Can I ask who you are?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm 
a grad student. I just wanted to talk to him about his fungicide program. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth line. <laughs> yeah. And he and he, he invites me in his office and actually spends like two hours with me. And I, I learned a lot more than fungicides that day. Yeah. 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 yeah and the reason why I, I it may seem like, why is he asking me these questions? Is because a theme is uh you know grit you keep saying grit and like you're you there's a willingness for you to to work and just ask questions um you know and i think i think that's important like i tell it like no matter what you want to do in this industry like it's it's doing you know you have to do it and and but the, i love the story about the generosity people have with you you know what i mean like people if you don't know who brian babcock is he's just he's one of the most underrated winemakers in california um pioneer down in santa barbara county he was the santa rita hills before it was the santa rita hills um and there's just you got these stories where like like with rob who you work for now like you know you, you called to buy some grapes and you still talk for 45 minutes right you know babcock you, you know you, you smoothed it out with the fungicide line and you're there for two hours and he's and you're and he's allowing you to pick it pick your brain you know pick his brain so i think that's really cool man um so you take over, you're putting together a team at uh, Tooth and Nail. What was that like? What, how, how did that? How's that? How'd that go? How's that going? Like, let's talk about 2016. You, you start in 2015. What, what, what you were putting together a wine team? What, what, did, what did that entail? It took a lot of trial and error, and like um, finding the right people who were like the cultural fit and had the grit, like we all do and we all want in the culture there. You know, which is persistence and passion driven. Um, and it has been a progression, you know, um, all of our leadership skills have been evolving. The winemaking has been evolving. We're really making these improvements to wine quality, each vintage, which is, you know, we get one shot a year to do this. Um, but really growing a team has been amazing for me and, you know, honing my leadership skills and, you know, growing people and, putting something special together because something happens in a happy cellar. You know, mm -hmm. you take killer grapes that you've been, you know, working with and checking on all year and the, you know, farming is done right. And you bring them into a really clean, healthy cellar, but culturally it's healthy and clean. Mm. Something happens. The wines like it. And, you, and also just the respect for one another and the love and the attention that my coworkers and employees have for one another makes it a really great place to work, which is important too, because there's that cultural side of sustainability that is a lot of times overlooked and trumped by, you know, the environmental. Mm. Say more about that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Well, it's yeah, it's overlooked a lot because sustainability, you know, at its core has, um, you know, he's playing with the three uh, freaking wine key. Three. That's what that banging is. Everybody had to take it from like he's a little kid. <laughs> three, uh, three tenants. You know, culture, environment, mm -hmm. economic. Mm -hmm. So. Why is culture so important to you, man? I mean, I, I kind of got a little bit there, like, but like, like, why does that really? Because this is there's a theme here. You mentioned earlier your values and culture. Like, what? Like, why? Why is it? Like, is it? And you might have said it earlier, but it's is it 
something how you you was raised? Is that like, I mean, people talk good Midwestern, good Midwestern values. I mean, like what, like what do you, what do you kind of like attribute that to? Because I think, I think, I think you're spot on. By the way, I mean, leadership. Ralph Nader said, uh, the 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 true purpose of leadership is to develop other leaders or something like that. You know, you know a yeah. leader's supposed to develop other leaders. I think it's because I've. Um... Some of those individuals who I've mentioned throughout my life, Walker, Mo, um, other people, my guitar teacher, um, who I really looked up to throughout my life, they were good leaders. Mm-hmm. They had values. Mm-hmm. They had follow through. Mm-hmm. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. I've also had bad leaders. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. No, and that's, that's and that's uh, and we t- we teach our people the why and the how. The why is the most important, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I really believe, and it's it's sad because I just think that, especially in in the wine industry, there's, there maybe not especially in the wine industry, I just think, and a lot of what I've witnessed, there's too much focus on the me. Mm. And especially as being a winemaker, a white male winemaker, um, I'm trying not to make it like the Jeremy Lefford show. If mm-hmm. you know, rising tides raises all boats. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep my people happy and growing their skills because if they're not, they're spinning their wheels. You know? And when we make a great wine, we made a great wine. Mm. Mm. Yeah, culture is huge for me. Would you say your approach to wine making is pretty much culture driven? Yeah. No, no. So, <clears throat> so we're we're on. We're also we we have this Javelet Chapelle La Chapelle, and um, wow, I know. And, I was saying, <laughs> and so I'm going. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is Syrah. This is Grenache. You know, uh, you know, I have to do this uh, in my head. And but like even this Syrah, it, both these just are blue fruit stupid. You know. Um. Uh, I you know this this is really good, but I I'm such a Grenache head. I mean, this Jeunesse is killing it, but this is very very. These are both fucking killer. Yeah, I, th- I. Yeah, the Jeunesse is drinking so good right now. I think this is like well, we grabbed it on the early. Oh yeah, it's yeah. totally. That's but. A- well, uh, we could have decanted it last night and put, but whatever. There's whatever. stuff we could have did. It's perfect. Um, so, <clears throat> so talk about so talk about the, the all the labels under the on one or you have under one. You have a Morfati yeah, stasis good, and tooth and nail. Good call. Um, um, so our newest project um, under the tooth and nail wine company. So tooth and nail under the tooth and nail brand is called the Squad. Okay. Um, you everyone can check them out at toothandnailwine.com. Um, the squad is a Cabernet Sauv Blanc, a red blend, and soon to be a Tempranillo. Um, and this is super exciting because up until December of 2020, we were called Rabble Wine Company, and we sold the Rabble brand to another large wine company in December and started from scratch again. And what's important here, everybody, is that 
I came on six years ago, the rabble wines and the tooth and nail wines all existed. And stylistically, I had to just carry that like stylistic uh, torch. Okay. We just hit the reset button and Rob, Rob Murray got to drive the creative process of the artwork. He's big in art. Mm -hmm. And we're using this new designer in San Luis Obispo named Hal Etheridge. And I got to drive the creative of what the wine style was going to be in the bottle. Got and that, that was the first time working there where Rob and I got to collaborate at such an intimate level. And it was super fun. And we're trying to um, be inclusive without like having to say that. And so what we to, did to me that's kind of like key to real inclusivity. If you're, if you're, if you're it's it, it's uh, it's a good point. Like you, I love what you said. We were want to be inclusive without saying we're being inclusive because then antennas go up, and then you you know like I like that. Wow, it's not like. Of course, it's our goal, but it's also kind of become sort of a buzzword. That's these what I'm days. saying. Right, right, like, right, right. So I think it starts with the culture within yep. the company and yep. how we raise our people up and mm -hmm. promote them, mm -hmm. and then also so these these art this artwork they're the they're the alter egos of our wine club members. Yeah, no, I I got a sneak peek at those when I uh, was out there, and the label. I mean, they're out now. They're but, out. But but the, the I mean, and there's going to be people who okay. It's it is the wine business. You have to make money if you want to do, grow leaders and and have sustainable vineyards. So 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 you know they're looking to tap into a different demographic, yeah, a little younger demographic, um, because those kids like hard seltzer and shit. We didn't fall for the Zima. My if you might, yeah, I don't. Emperor we didn't has new clothes, yeah, by the way. Yeah, exactly. That's all that is. That's fucking Zima, dude. I know. <laughs> um, and um. <clears throat> You mentioned so, in addition, like just really the the artwork is kind of like almost like graffiti. It has a just has a it's just got a you know because I'm 53 and I'm a hip hop head. It has a nice feel to it. You know what I mean? Like you know, it just has it's good looking style. The wines are great. Um, I don't I do want to find out what's in the red blend. You didn't send me the red blend or the sob block. I was a little I was a little bummed, but um, I didn't. No, you sent me two of the cabs. You sent me two. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Um, oh. It's all good. It's, like, it's all good. It's done. I know. Um, talk about, so I love you guys collaborated. What is the vision? Like, so what are you trying to deliver in that price point? So they're like in the 20, 25 range? 20. 20. What are you trying to deliver to the market? Um, I want like really good concentration, explosive fruit, really nice volume, weight, and mouthfeel. And I want this to... To really like inspire people who are both like have a ton of mileage with their wine and people just getting into it, but really the price. These are like hardworking wines um, for hard, you know for regular people. And what I love about that is because you know I'm you know a kind of a regular guy and and I, I really love that wine brings people together in sickness and in health and celebration and sadness mm -hmm. it's just part of our lives it elevates our lives and at that twenty dollar price point like my bandwidth as a winemaker is enormous i can cast a wide net and make a bunch of people's lives better i love that I so love that. do i love drinking fancy wine like we're drinking today yes because i learned something there's a story behind it i know something i can communicate that to someone else i'm sharing it with 
But if I make those only, I can only cast a small net. Mm -hmm. Because let's be honest. What percent of the wine drinking population is spending 60 bones on a bottle of Grenache? Oh, shit. I'd, it's probably like it's small. It's like two, three percent. It's, it, it's small. It's super small, man. And on the on the other side of the coin, what percentage of that group is spending twenty dollars on a bottle of Cabernet? Right, a lot. And 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 I think we had a discussion when I was out there with you and Rob. You know, um, and like for a lot of people, twenty dollars. Listen, if you like wine, if you're getting into wine, you're young, say your kid, you're 25, it's your first job, maybe it's like $35,000 a year, a $20 bottle of wine, that's a freaking treat, you know? And I think you said you're trying to just deliver just this, this, this experience that will help people to develop a love for wine. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah, and, and let's be honest. $20 is a stretch for a lot of people. And $20 on someone who's getting into wine um, might be a Friday night special bottle. Yep. Or they're taking their it's their, man, their yeah. man or their lady yeah. out for yeah. something special. Yeah. That's the bottle. Yeah. But $20 is also an important price point for people that enjoy higher-end yeah, stuff and that, are well-versed. That's their that, everyday. That's our burner bottle, right? right. Like, like we went out the other night and we bought a bunch of 15, 20, that, that we like, oh, this is sick. We know this is sick. Because, yeah, I mean, after, you know, two bottles, maybe four, but depending on people of really nice stuff, you don't need to keep going back to your cellar cracking fucking expensive bottles of wine, man. No, and honestly, uh, most people who who have that insatiable thirst for for, for wine and, and purchasing and learning um, – here aren't buying eight dollar bottles from california right you buy those from spain and portugal you know yes yeah, right right you know but those people or we will right. buy twenty dollar wines from california right, right right so talk about so there's the squad a squad and then there's the audubon series okay those are all blends driven with one varietal that's like the stand that you first picked up in arkansas that's one of the audubon series and okay all of these wines have this Crazy artwork um, yes. from John James Audubon, the naturalist, 19th century. These are all depictions of animals, you know, uh, fighting tooth and nail to, you know, protect their young or escape from a trap. Or, mm -hmm. um, And so we have the possessor, a Cabernet-driven, the fiend, a Malbec-driven, the stand, Petit Syrah, and finally the fragrant snare, which is a Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have a Morphite. Which has always been the top tier um, brand for us. What does that mean, Aladdin? Uh, love of one's fate, and that's coming from a William Blake poem. This is this is the uh, smart wine company, <laughs> philosophical wine company. <laughs> and um, Amor Fatigue was always driven from the uh, initially. It was driven from the cool climate, Murmur Vineyard, the vineyard that Rob Murray planted in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, which is planted predominantly to. Pinot and Chard, but I've really come to love the Rhones on that ranch. Um, and so that's Amorphite. And then there's Stasis, which is um, kind of moving into the DTC world as more experimental. Okay. Um, more obscurities, things like that. Just have fun. Because we're really trying to grow our e-commerce and, and build out a new platform for that, which is exciting. And I can't go into too much of that today. Yeah, that's um, But we need to have – because a lot of people who love wine don't want to just drink Cabernet all the time. 
I, so, I, you know me. And then lastly, <laughs> lastly, we have an, a new brand we're bringing back that we've always had called Destinata. Okay. And that's most likely only going to be available in um, select markets initially because the case production's tiny and it's only for on-premise, so wine bars and restaurants and uh, DTC. But uh, these are all wines for today, so they're very low-intervention like barely any use of SO2, native yeast. We came out with a Syrah from White Hawk in Los Alamos, a Chenin Blanc. Did I taste Riesling. that when I was? Did I taste all those when I was out there in the barrel, maybe? No. Why are you holding out, B? Damn, B. <laughs> Yo, B, why you got to make me feel fear if I'm for the microphone? Just turn around and ask. <laughs> what did you say the Martian? I was, I was hoping you were going to say... Um, Fucking, I can't remember. Come on, help me out here. Throw me a bone. Half-baked. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I love that movie. No, I know. That's why I was like, why you got to make me on fear, B? Just turn <laughs> around and ask. <clears throat> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, out of all these incredible projects, what's the most, um, what's the most exciting to you right now? Because you were you were jazzed with the with, with I mean every you, your your love of wine it's infectious but like like what 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 is what do you what's most compelling for you what's really yeah I I'm just haunted by um, Grenache okay like it has something so ethereal and haunting with like this yeah like it's Oof. Um, and also it's like if, if the personality of this wine is just, regardless of where, if Grenache is grown in a relatively cool climate, the energy that just is just, it's just, it's, it's got that sizzle and pop, you know, that, that just, it's that sublimeness. It's the, you know, when you hear your favorite song and you get goosebumps, Grenache is like that. And I think that, um, when it's grown in the right place and it's handled appropriately in the in the cellar, like it makes some of the most drinkable and delicious and versatile wines we can get for the Reds. And I, I love making it, and it's a lot of fun. What, was does the Grenache come out under uh, a Morfati? Morfati. Yeah, we're actually coming out with the Destinata Grenache uh, next year, but that'll be all carbonic. Okay. That um, um, and we have uh, one other blend that it shows up in. So that's definitely um, another connector between us. Just, I just Everything you said about Grenache is just so true for me, too. Um, however, and what, you know, you mentioned Tempranillo. Like, what is like, and, and I tasted a Malbec. What, what, what's exciting you outside of the Rhone stuff in Paso Robles? <clears throat> in Paso Robles. Or it could be California. I mean, oh. you know. You know. You know, I'm having fun with th- this new stuff like uh, the Shannon and and Riesling Gamay, huge. Just having having a oh yeah, you sent me having you, a, you, you having sent a, me their Gamay you, Noir. You loved it. Oh my god, that that was so fucking good. Yeah, I don't have any of that left. I'll send you the 2020 though. Yeah, um, but it's it's Gamay's fun. I like it's got some similarities to uh, why I like Grenache, mm-hmm. meaning it's just versatile. It works with, um, you know. My wife and my diets, you know, because she doesn't 
eat fur or feathers, you know, and, mm. and it just, it works. It's versatile on the table. Um, and it's just like, these are wines for today. Mm. Mm. Super cool. So, what's next for Jeremy Lefford? <laughs> um, I just want to keep hustling and keep getting better and keep mm. making better wines and um, really working on inspiring my people and and focusing on the uh, our ability to uh, perform as a unit, not as on the individual level. Mm. Mm. I, you know, <clears throat> I I just think you have this love for wine and this respect and reverence, not just f for the wine and the vine, for what it can do for people. You know, um, I, I say all the time, we, we, if we could uh, sit down with people and have a bottle of wine and a meal um, and, and look for what we have in common, I think we could, you know, be a little bit better to each other. I kind of get that from you. Uh, I love what you're up to. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of show titles now. It's like growing vines, growing people. But, you know, like like it's, it's this is like very heart driven uh, uh, what the projects you are, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's called a project. I think everyone's life's a project. It's very heart driven, very heart centered. Yeah, I've never um, and my love and, and respect for wine has. Uh, is, is getting just bigger which is weird i thought it would eventually just sort of wane yeah, and then yeah. i would or plateau or then i would lose interest and go do something else but it's weird this is different it's like the um the longer i do this the more i love it and, and there's really only a couple things i've ever encountered in my life that that have this place in my heart and in my mind you know like this is uh who i am mm. you know and it's what were we talking about last night? It's like, you know, it's warm today. Yeah. And, but it's like, well, what are we going to talk about? Right. You know, I, we don't want to talk about politics. Nope. We don't want to talk about religion. No. If I hear someone else bring up the freaking weather, <laughs> like, really? It's warm today. <laughs> it's warm yesterday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, Jeremy, my friend, thank you for... Coming into the studio, sitting down and laying down some tracks with me, man. Thank, um, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Tell everybody where they can find you and be a part of all the exciting projects. You yeah, so you, you can find me on Instagram, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, Leffert, L-E-F-F, like in Frank, E-R-T, and Tooth and Nail Wine on Instagram as well. So, yeah, reach out. I'd love to uh, interact with everybody out there. Thanks, MJ. My pleasure. So... Everybody, until the next time, it's your boy MJ. Cheers to the Mavericks. You definitely qualify that. Philosopher, definitely that. A deep thinker, and I know you're a motherfucking wine drinker. Everybody, cheers. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. 
And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.